Kitten Okereke has taught maths for over 14 years. Through her teaching, writing and presenting, she aims to help people understand that maths is an interesting and powerful subject, relevant to people's everyday lives. Susan completed her master's degree in teaching at the UCL Institute of Education and has collaborated with organisations such as the British Museum and the Museum of London to design contextual maths resources based on exhibitions. As well as this, Susan has also contributed to the book A Practical Guide to Teaching Secondary Mathematics by writing the chapter on pupil-led ICT. She also co-hosts the podcast Maths Appeal with the equally inspirational Bobby Seagull. With all of this to cover, plus much more, we'd best get started. So firstly, I'd like to say a really big thank you for taking the time to join me today, Susan. Thank you, Nicola, for asking me to, to do this. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. Before we get into the powerful themes that we'd like to address today, I was wondering if you could share what you're most looking forward to or whether it's already happened now that lockdown restrictions are easing across the UK. Um, I know for some people they're queuing up at the hairdressers or the shops. I just wondered what, what you've missed the most. I actually uh, had the, the privilege of seeing my um, brother and my niece and nephew uh, last week, which was just wonderful. Um, and just sort of seeing family and friends is the, is the key thing, because that's like I, my partner is wonderful. Uh, he really is great. But you kind of <laughs> want to see more people uh, <laughs> uh, being a bit of a chatty person. So uh, seeing people. And the next thing I'm really looking forward to is cinemas. We really love going to see, oh, yeah. to see film um, and yeah it's just that whole real escapism and just being transported somewhere else we probably won't go on holiday for a long time so <laughs> the next best thing is a cinema so that's like that really yeah so I'm sure many of our listeners today have been following your work for some time as I know I have um you've been involved in so many projects and of course still are and with more to come and as I said in the introduction you've you worked with the British Museum and the Museum of London to design some exhibitions so I was wondering if you could just um tell us a little bit more about you know what was involved and what did they look like and and how they were received so actually what I did was I I worked with the, uh, the British Museum and yeah the Museum of London and it was about um trying to uh, pull out where maths is in some of the galleries that there are there so I sincerely believe that maths is everywhere you know if you look hard enough you'll find some mathematics uh, and the, both of the projects were to do with supplementary schools. I don't know if you know much about supplementary schools, but they are um, like schools that generally take place after school or on at the weekend. And they're run by people who aren't teachers normally. So they could be like language schools or maths, English, science schools or culture schools. And a lot of the time they're very kind of key in the community and the museum has a remit to try and get more community groups to kind of come into the museum and, and interact with the resources. Uh, and one of the things that the museum found out through the research was that loads of these supplementary schools want to do more math stuff, um, but don't really know how to because they don't have math teachers, but we could use the museum as a resource to bring them into the museum, but also do some maths. So my thing was to try and design some resources that would take people into a gallery and then get them to interact with it and then find where some of the maths was. So we did, I did one in the British Museum in the Clocks and Watches gallery where they kind of looked at a variety of things. And what was kind of amazing about doing the whole process, because it was that, there was the Money Museum, the Money Gallery, there was also 
the um, Egyptian one where we looked at hieroglyphics and just coding. What it was was just about kind of getting the students and also the teachers to, to go into the gallery and just engage with it. So the learning was kind of active, you know, like it involved kind of drawing things or finding things or doing statues, but also then asking questions around like when do you think this was made like how long do you think this would have taken if it was used how was it used and then sort of trying to pull out some of the math involved there also the exam the islamic gallery in the british museum which is of course full of tessellation and shape so it was just trying to find things that kind of you know the gallery was there but where is the mat in that and then how can you how can you be playful within that um it's really refreshing to do because it kind of was learning for learning's sake. There was no like exam at the end or anything. It was just helping people to think, kind of like broaden their their minds. So that was really, it was really fun to do. But what is amazing about the museums is that there are huge, there's loads of education stuff there. Yeah. So it's like, it's that thing of there are, there'll be outreach things. Sometimes a museum people come to you or there'll be things that if you wanted to take students as on a trip there's loads of math stuff there I think a lot of people think museums is just history and art or something but actually there's math stuff science stuff there um so there's stuff there I think my stuff was online I think it's still there I hope it's still there I'll find if I, if I can find it uh, um I'll send you the link yeah and because it, yeah. um, it was it was like kind of free to kind of access and it was just like worksheets but it was an encourage it was encouraging people just to engage with the gallery as opposed to just wander around and go well that's nice it's like can you find something you want to give to your 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 mum like can you find something that looks like a pea <laughs> yes. I mean? yes. and, and that just that's starts the conversation really and then you can right can you see something that looks a bit like you know uh, a, a, a hexagon or something and then mm. there you're like okay right you're now in you're engaged now we yes. can take it somewhere else oh. Brilliant. I think that, you know, it's really clear that there are many of us that work um, in this field, you know, maths education, teaching, um, and, you know, we're like-minded, passionate about inspiring students and, and young learners into the world of maths. But I just wondered, you know, I think it's really important to have such fantastic exhibitions that promote this context around the subject. Um, I just wondered if you thought that whether building more context into the curriculum itself, you know, out of the exhibition, into the classroom. Do you think that's more important to engage the learners? And also, do you think there's a particular age, whether it's primary or early secondary or late secondary, where you think that more contextual building into the curriculum is more significant? So that's quite big. Um, <laughs> it's big. Um, so I think contextual math I think is relevant throughout the years I think from like reception well from when a child is like born and just learning about the world I think you know you know as a as a parent you you know you're, you're aiming to be like like you're counting as you go up the steps or you know you're you're, you're cooking together that type of thing and then primary yeah. is really great at like when they introduce fractions they're getting students they're getting kids to cut things do you know what I mean which is just a no-brainer really yeah. um, and I think and I think it, that what is great I think is generally primary school is really good at maintaining that I think sometimes when it gets to, to year six it might shift because of SATs but I think that's a shame I wish that there was more contextual stuff in maths as in there's the potential to be as in loads of the maths that we do on some level connects to context somewhere right yes 
so it's you know there's there's abstract stuff but we can if we think about it we can definitely find some like context somewhere um for some students they don't need the, the contextual stuff that they, they don't need it to be engaged do you know what i mean but for, for quite a lot of students i think they they, they they do they want to know why they're doing something and yes. uh, and an answer of it's going to be in the exam is just not good enough <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. i think where we can I, th I think we should try to include uh, and point to context but and but i think it doesn't have to be a massive ordeal i think a lot of people think it has to be all singing all dancing yeah active stuff i think a simple thing like you talk yeah you talk about um you're doing 3d shape and you're just like here's some 3d shapes what where do you have you seen shapes like this in real life and you just get the kids to talk about things that look like those 3d shapes and then, and then you can be like, right, why why do you think you'd need to find the volume of a shape like this? Well, you know, get them as you're learning the 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 the, the basics of what you know, like the formula for the the volume of a um, a cuboid or something. You're mm -hmm. like, right, you learn it, but then you're like, right, why? When could this be useful in real life? And you can yeah. like, give a question, or you can ask them to think about that because I think. Without that, without connecting the reason for doing it, you're just missing a, a, an opportunity for the students to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and the bigger picture is, what's the point in us teaching maths? We kind of want young, want people to leave school being able to do things in real life, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. So, you know, I think going back to the kids is important and asking them what they know and what what they're interested in, but then also bringing the maths element too as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you that's really powerful actually about just reminding, you know, obviously many of the listeners to this will will be, you know, frontline classroom teachers that are, you know, listening on the way to work and they've got a 3D shape lesson today. They might start using those sorts of questions which would be really good. Um but also just bearing in mind like you say it's not that huge task. It doesn't have to be all singing or dancing. It could just be through questioning or you know, opening up conversations about why, you know, we've all had that question, oh, what's the point of this? When am I ever going to need this? Well, how about we flip that question back to them? Well, hang on a minute, what would you tell me? Why do you think that we this? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, I was going to ask you about any advice for them, but I think you've just picked up on that quite naturally about how to just embed that sort of stuff into their lessons. And um, just repeat, like, what you said, I think is also great, you know, like, if a kid asks that and you know you might have a few ideas but you you know get them to google it yes them to, you know like even they just put the question when when is a tetrahedron used in the real world something yeah. will come up do you know what i mean and i think yeah. that's where because sometimes there are topics that you as a teacher as a math teacher are passionate about and you're like i know like i we could wax lyrical about this for ages i've got good stories around i've got good examples i've got good visuals and there are some that are just a you know that you teach them in a dry way <laughs> <laughs> yeah so 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 actually but knowing that i think you can use your students to help you learn how to make it better and yeah. that's by asking them questions um and being open to the fact that you want to know more so i think it's 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 about you learning with them because the reality of it is like as a teacher, as a math teacher, I love mathematics. I find how broad it is incredible. I think it's incredible that it fits into fashion, it fits into 
architecture. It fits into cooking. I think it's amazing. But I'm already engaged with that. I think that like, but I also don't know fully how it evolved, it's evolved um, in fashion. I don't know fully how it's involved in architecture. I don't know fully how it's involved in cooking. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not a, an amazing chef. What is like these experts on some level can bring something to us as math teachers as well, but we can't be, we can't be confident in all of that. That's not our job. Does that make sense? So I think pointing to it, I think is really important. If you've got good resources that you feel confident user, using, use them. But you don't have to be the oracle. Like the world is huge <laughs> and math is literally everywhere. So like, as I say, use the kids to help you get better with your knowledge. And um, and also if you can like find experts from other places to inject some reality into your classroom, it might be talking to a science teacher about how they use, you know, like scatter graphs or speaking to DT teacher about how they use 3D shape. That would be really cool. That would be like having a, like a mini road show in your own classroom, wouldn't it? Be like, and today's special guest, we've got Mr. So-and-so from, mm. you know, from the kitchen. Like he's come up from the kitchen to talk to us about what what is on the menu today and where he's using maths. Or we've yeah. got Mr. So-and-so from the art department today. She's going to talk to us about why she thinks maths is important in art. That's an incredible idea. Oh, I'd love to hear from any listeners that are going to try that and going to have like a special guest in, in their classroom. I, I want to go back to the classroom now. I want to try <laughs> inviting special. But the kids would love it. You could make it like a thing, couldn't you? Like a once in a while, just get special expert yeah. is and today our special guest is. And like I love the idea of it's so and so from the kitchen who they see all the time. And yeah. it's like, well, how do you prepare food for a, a thousand five hundred people every yeah. day? Like yeah. that, and that is humongous. Absolutely, and, and you're always going to have, you know, the, the sporty ones that think, "Well, oh, I don't ever need maths. I'm going to go and play sport. I'm going to do basketball." And well, hang on a minute, our special yeah. guest today is the basketball coach. <laughs> yeah, and they'll tell you some reality about the maths that you need in that, because you need to be up on your stats if you want to be yeah. like becoming national level or whatever. I wanted to talk to you about the round table that. Pearson hosted um, with the power of maths. Um, I think it was last January, so just over a year ago. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've listened to your insights and thoughts about, you know, what happened on the day. Um, and one thing that was discussed, you know, at great length, um, was this recurring theme of the anxiety that we experience from students and and adults, of course, the, the maths anxiety. So I just wanted to get your thoughts today on how as a community of maths teachers or people in maths education how do you see us continuing to tackle this problem we've talked about engaging students you know by contextual strategies or but how do we get them to engage with their maths problems um, and build upon their confidence well this is something that's very, very, very close to my heart. The the roundtable was a great event to be involved in. Um, and I learned a lot there, but also on the back of that, I've done a lot more like looking into the math anxiety. And I think one of the key things just to clarify is the fact that it's a real thing and the impact is huge for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and um, and one of the things that has blown my mind, so I've read quite a lot about, um, I've read quite a lot from, Sue Johnson Wilder. She yes. Was, yeah, and so she and she was at the round table as well. Uh, and 
just a key thing that just stands stays with me and it's a, a, a thing I want just everyone to understand is that math anxiety is real anxiety is a real thing that if you do not address it if you don't like help support your student not to not being anxious they'll learn nothing so there's absolutely no point in you trying to teach an anxious person they cannot engage with what you're doing mm. so and that was like mind-blowing because you know you're thinking well if there's a student playing up in your classroom or their the head's on the desk or they're looking out the window and they're not engaging with you and you're frustrated at that and you're angry at that and you're not in, engaging with the fact that actually there's something going on with them physically that they can't engage with you they want to do whatever they can to get out of that room or to not be in that like in that situation. If you, don't, if you do not acknowledge that, you're not going to be able to teach them anything. Yeah. And so that was like, okay. And I, I kind of understood that, but also it, the clarity of it was quite mind blowing because then, then it makes you rethink what's going on. Because obviously there are some kids who will sometimes just want to be disruptive for the sake of it. And that, and I, and I, I appreciate that. You know, sometimes they're just not having a good day, or they, you're not really getting on with them, and that's fine. But, yeah. you know, that you put that to one side. It's for those who you know, you know that there's something happening within them that's stopping them from engaging. And it's about saying to them, I know you're finding this difficult. Take a minute. It's okay. Nothing mm. bad is going to happen to you because the anxiety that's happening within them is a real like it's a real physiological experience where they're feeling threatened your words the room the environment is threatening their safety yeah and so without engaging with that we can't then get them on side to learn stuff so it's like that is quite I thought quite a big idea but it's a real one mm-hmm. and I think then it's kind of then going right okay well if I've got students who's doing that if you can like speak to them like to one side and be like you're, you're okay you're safe here don't worry there's a, a, a model that uh, Sue kind of is encouraging people to use which is the growth zone model which is kind of getting students to engage with whether they are you know comfortable challenged or panicking and if they're in the panic zone so it's like a visual if they're in the panic zone they can't learn anything so we, you need to be acknowledging that and allowing them to maybe take a, a minute or two to put the head on the desk to zone out to do something else so they, they stop panicking yeah and then once you once they have stopped panicking you can then start to engage them again um so there's a model there but i think also i think it's about just acknowledging the fact that math is a really emotional subject and a lot of people are coming into the maths classroom with preconceived ideas of their own ability. It doesn't matter that you think that a student is really capable and they can do really well. If they don't believe it, that's the journey that they have to deal with. Yeah. And they need you to be there to, like you say, that acknowledgement that something's just not right, whether it's that day. It could be just a particular topic. You know, I remember having anxiety over... Um, you know, very different parts of maths, you know, and trying to trying to let the students know that it's okay. Like you can be good at different parts of maths yeah. and, and not good at all of the maths, yeah. you know, um, it might be a, a theme. But yeah, the acknowledgement, I think, is is key. I want to pick up on because obviously it, within this whole pandemic and, you know, virtual learning and you, you're you're an experienced teacher, presenter, blogger, you, you, you're you really kind of on the front line of everything you've got, you know, a hands on, 
you know what what's going on at the moment um i give you a big head nicola <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't be talking to him if you weren't so amazing like I, I, I have so much to share with everybody i just think because you've got all of these strings to your bows you're, you're going to see it from so many different angles whether it's from you know in the maths hubs and and other people that you speak to or on your own um experience in in your classroom I just want to know what you feel going back into that physical learning, having students coming back into the class. How do you perceive the mass anxiety at the moment? Has it changed since you know the pandemic? What's happening in the classroom now? Oh, I mean, that's the thing. I think I think we what we're dealing with not like so people are dealing have had who've had mass anxiety still have it and probably worse. But I think there's also we've got to acknowledge the fact that we are living through a global pandemic so anxiety levels for everyone are just so much higher absolutely yeah so it's just that in itself that we need to be kind of like aware of and sensitive to i think that's one of the things i'm a bit like i just hope schools are paying attention to that yes loads of kids have like lost learning time but again if they're anxious trying to get them to do catch-up lessons is not going to work i think that's a really significant point to make about catch up and I've I've spoken to quite a lot of teachers over the past few months that they're trying to avoid that phrase of catch up mm. um, because it almost builds anxiety straight away from, for the yeah. teacher to, to yeah. think oh my god we've got to catch up and then the kids think oh no we've got to catch up so and I was speaking on, on one of the other podcasts we were talking about you know that we were still in lockdown and, and Nicola Wister was saying about you know when they come back we're going to just reintroduce them to school yeah. and that they are, you know, they remember all the routes around school because, you know, the one way systems and the routines and getting their uniform on and being back in social situations with each other. She said, because that's important to get that bit right mm -hmm. before we tackle, you know, every, everything else. So it, it's nice to hear that that is coming from so many places. But like you say, we just need to make sure that all schools are kind of, I think in thinking that way also, um, I wanted to say as well you know with regards to the maths anxiety stuff you know like and this is as a maths teacher we've got to also appreciate the fact that students will be have been be, like will be will have been taught by <laughs> their mm -hmm. parents yes who have their own emotional and get like emotional journey emotional um connection with mathematics and mm -hmm. for some their emotional connection is incredibly negative. So some kids might not have had mass anxiety before lockdown. Mm. And since lockdown, because their first port of call for teaching has been have been parents who, God bless them, like have, have, have been working, are stressed, who also hate maths, you know? Yeah. And then on the back of that, of having to teach their kids topics, things that they can't remember, formations have changed, all the rest of it. So there's a lot like the unpicking that will take time. I think I just, as I say, I really hope schools are sensitive to this re-engagement of students into school because there's a lot to be dealing with. And I think I really hope as well, a, a little plug for National Numeracy, the charity, for parents yeah. who found teaching, homeschooling difficult, 
and like and really highlighted with regards to mathematics that they have a problem with it and they aren't over it from their school days that they should go to the um, national numeracy charity and do the challenge and try and get over it and if math is an issue the national numeracy uh, charity is a great place to go and there's loads of free stuff on there to help you and support you so that's just uh, putting that out there yeah and I think yeah definitely teachers need to reference that to their parents you know in, in best ways that they can support their own children on that point what would you what are you doing at the moment with those students that you recognize this anxiety let's what could another teacher do when they get into school today or tomorrow um, what advice would you give to them to implement helping their students today? Uh, so I would, I'd encourage them to, to download the Pearson, um, the Pearson Power of Maths Tackling Math Anxiety booklet. I think there's just some really lovely things in there in a general sense. But also I just think, I think it's a shift of thought. I think when a student is being challenging or not working instead of thinking they're just lazy and they don't care and they're being annoying mm -hmm. have a moment and just go what's happening here with them are mm -hmm. they okay first and then you can be like look and then once you kind of are in that zone there's more scope to be to hopefully get them out of the hole they might be in yeah it's like recognizing the layers isn't it addressing that first layer and yeah. saying is everything okay that hopefully will take down a barrier and yeah. remove a layer and then you can get into the next one okay what's your barriers today what's what's what, happened and, the, and what like you know and and i think as well they've just kind of and where possible start from where the student is i get you've got a class say of 30 kids it's not as straightforward as that but yeah. i think one like a, a, a really something that's really shifted my shifted my teaching is like I've done quite a bit of work with like primary schools like through that math hub work and like what has blown my mind is the fact that some of the work that's been done in primary schools is incredible and there's loads of stuff that we pre I presumed and I feel a lot of secondary school teachers presume kids don't know or they come to you and you're told to do like percentages with them maybe in the first week and you presume they know nothing and actually some of them the percentages knowledge is better than your, your like your year 11s so I think my another thing I'd say is like so now my thing is with yes well all my students now before I go into a topic because especially year seven year eights nines tens and elevens a lot of the stuff they've seen before some of the stuff they might never have seen but some of the stuff they've seen before I always start with what do you remember how do you feel because I think also it's quite interesting to hear like some of them don't mind and some of them are oh, hate ratio or I hate algebra hey whatever and then like okay well we stop we have to start there then and then it's like cool. like then you can just be like well it's okay let's let's just let go of that for now stick with me you're safe I'll, i can slowly help you through this do you know what i mean so it's like what do you know how do you feel and then once you've got that out there you can at least now you work with that room you're like okay right well well they one they know loads because they just give me loads of information so i'm not going to start at the bottom I'm going to start midway because most of them get it and those of them are remembering because we're brainstorming and and they're cool and they're into just wanting to move forward yes um, you might have an empty board with loads of people who are like freaking out so you're like okay right <laughs> I start from the basics and I know I'm not wasting my time yeah and so yeah. that's kind of yeah that's why I'd recommend as a, at least as a start 
Uh, do you know, a couple of times you've mentioned this whole, um, you know, you're safe in here, nothing bad's going to happen. And that's definitely something that I found myself saying when I was trying to encourage confidence and, and putting themselves out there and put your hand up, offer a solution. And you know, you see that child that's got the half a hand up, like it's, it's kind of the hands at shoulder height, because they're not confident enough to put their hand right up in the air. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, Bobby, is that is that half a hand? Come on, give it a try. And he'd be like, oh, I don't really know. It's like, you're safe. Nothing's going to happen. Like, if you get it wrong, I bet three quarters of the people in this room have got it wrong as well. So let's create a safe space here. It's fine. So that's kind of this thing. I just want it to be a space where it's totally okay to make mistakes. Um, you know, and we can talk about why it's a mistake and we can learn from that. But that's, you know, the safe thing I just think is super important. As well as having, you know, a good maths teacher or role models or, you know, those peers, I want to talk about the curriculum, you know, um, with the whole pandemic, there's lots of talk about, you know, the exams being cancelled and what does this mean for the curriculum? Do you think it's going to change? And, you know, we're, us here at Pearson, we're trying to look at diversity, inclusion, how we move this forward, the context. Um, and I've I've certainly had many classes, taught many classes where, you know, the students just snigger or laugh because they think the question's a bit cringy or old fashioned. I remember there was um, something in a textbook about loom bands and they were like, oh, really? This is just... <laughs> um, and there are so many topics where it's difficult to add content. You know, if you're trying to prove a particular circle theorem, you can't really put that into context. But I was talking with colleagues and, and people that are not in education about how do we, if we've got this opportunity at this point of, you know, education, you know, post pandemic, do you think we've got the opportunity here to make, to add more diversity, to make it more inclusive? Um, you know, we're all aware of the, the mass amount of students that don't quite reach their grade four each year. How do we make them feel included or what are your thoughts about that? Do you think we've got the potential? Oh my God, this is like, <laughs> I think I'm so like, this is so important that we start talking about this now because, because if you'd spoken to both of us and all of us, if we'd chatted like this two years ago, that the fact that it would be two years back to back, there'd be no GCC exams, no A-level exams, no SATs exams. We'd have told you you were crazy, right? Absolutely. So, you know, the, and the, the sun hasn't fallen out of the sky. It's not ideal. This setup is in no way ideal. But what is happening now, I'm like, is we, it's essential that we talk about what the future is. Because the reality of it is, like, I'm really, really passionate about GCC Resit and the fact that, is it a qualification that's fit for purpose? Many, many years I've worked with bottom set year 11s and like watched some of them pass and some of them fail. And what's sad is that word fail because actually they still have to do the exam in November. They still have to do the exam the following year. Like, so it's that thing of what is happening where 30% of students every year are not getting the grade they're meant to get. Mm -hmm. Plus when they do resit it, only 20% of them are getting it. That is the assessment is not fit for purpose and we need to talk about that. Okay, so that's like discussion wise, it's just bigger. And I think now is the time to re talk about it because we're now making decisions about grades for kids based on a year, two years of no exams, based on a system that is not relevant right now. 
because mm -hmm. are we going to have 30% of the kids not passing again? Like, so there's that discussion of what does that fundamentally mean? Also thinking about the content of what we are teaching in mathematics. How much of it is actually relevant to the kids' lives right now? Like, yeah. and that is a thing that have you, there's a book that I think anyone who's interested in math education, I think everyone should read it, but especially if you're interested in math education and thinking about reform of it, there's a book called The Maths Fix by Conrad Wolfram. Yeah. And it discusses computer-based maths. Because the reality of it is, the maths we're doing in schools right now, are we actually preparing kids for the, the, in the information age? Really? You mm. know? So that's, a, and, and with that, like I'm not saying he's got all the answers, but what he's done there is he's set up key questions, some solutions where they're actually, they're, I think they've tried some stuff out in Estonia, I think they're rolling some stuff out in Denmark. The whole idea that actually we should be creating or doing using maths curriculum that fits in with information technology and how do we prepare our students for the real world where a lot of jobs you do not have to do hand-drawn calculation. Can we fundamentally say that it is necessary for students to learn about circle theorems? Mm -hmm. can, can we hand on heart say that it is essential for our foundation students to know trigonometry? even yeah. though it's in the trigonometry spec in, in the foundation spec yeah so shouldn't we be talking about that i really hope that we talk about that <laughs> <laughs> you're right it's it's making me think like it's such a big thing isn't it when you just when you pick out you know have america got it right Do, you know they they take a trigonometry class they take a geometry class they they segment them into you know, separate qualifications, if you like, is that something, you know, that you, that you build your maths, um, I don't know, your maths education yourself at, at kind of key stage four and think, well, do you know what, this is in my, my kind of sites and I, I, I just need the basics really. So, you know, I'm just going to do the, the pure maths and maybe a bit of geometry and a, and a bit of statistics and probability and I'm good but then you've got the other people who think well actually I, I need a bit of trigonometry so I'm going to take a trig class and I'm going to you know so many kind of avenues to discuss about who's got it right if, if I think about it like I kind of go the foundation GCSE shouldn't it just be a foundation shouldn't it just be numeracy shouldn't like I think if you were to get a bunch of people who are involved in maths on some level also in the real world what some of the basic topics that everyone, and I mean everybody, I'm talking about like the the postman to the, you know, the um, housewife to the doctor. What are some of the basics that every human yeah, in this yeah. world right now needs to know? And that should be your numeracy GCSE. And, and this is me, again, I'm, I'm free forming here, but I don't have an answer. But actually numeracy GCSE that everyone should do should more or less pass or fail it. And that should be like, a standard so that's like probability that's basic measure all the rest of it and yeah. then higher should be the maths GCSE which is like all the stuff that could take you to further math if you wanted to or yes. like you say you could have it in units you could have it in modules but I just think I don't have an answer I'm throwing that out there <laughs> discuss because I'm just saying now currently if we're honest with ourselves is our current GCSE fit for purpose yeah, this is going to spark some conversations. It'd be interesting to see what what 
the listeners will think and what about cultural diversity you know we, we often talk in this country about the north and south divide or wales or scotland how how can we try and build a curriculum that's diverse how do we present topics that can be culturally diverse you know kind of we're going back to this one size fits all which you know we're clearly kind of steering down the road of it's not really working but mm. do you think there's scope for that I mean I, I think I mean it's all there's a culmination of ideas here because what you're saying I think is super interesting and super important because I've been in a class and I swear this happened where we did the question a GCT question and it was like fun um like is building a patio in this garden and um and he needs these like these slabs blah 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 and the question from a student was what is a fun and what is a patio oh lord yes and you're like well fair questions <laughs> you know what I mean like if you don't know fun is a name John in Spanish, I think, you know, and a patio is like the front of like, I'm not sure how to define it myself, but it's it's been a garden, it's like kind of a paved bit or something anyway, right? But it's that thing of, I I think, I I definitely think listening, getting teachers to be involved in the exam writing process, I think is important. I think, I think, I think getting ideas from, and, and and what you're saying, Welsh, you know, you know, north of England, south of England. I should throw in some Scotland too. Like, you know, I just, I just think it should be it should, inner city London, like seaside towns. Teachers should be involved in the process because we are the facing. We're facing these students, and we have to sort of deal with this stuff. But we should also be a part of like making this stuff. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, it does. Yeah. So you're, you're right because you, you know I, I think there was another one wasn't there was it in the first the first papers of the new specification where somebody was buying theatre tickets for the, the circle seats? Was uh, um, it? Yeah, I think for that one. And you think, hang on a minute, what fifteen-year-old is aware of how to purchase tickets to the theatre? Yeah. How many of these young people have actually had the opportunity to go to the theatre? Yeah, and it was groundbreaking to see how many of those foundation students went straight for a pi r squared there or is. A times diameter because they saw the word circle yeah and, and again that it's the cultural diversity that we're just yeah. we need the input like you say i think that's a great great suggestion that there needs to be some input from teachers into the, um, yeah yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I was also just picking up on that. Can we talk about the Black Heroes um, in maths conference that happened last year? I was just fascinated by listening to some of the stories and experiences of not only, you know, the the journeys that people have made in their careers, also their experiences in in their classrooms as they're teaching. Um, For the listeners that have missed it or wasn't aware that that was happening, um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that conference? Yeah, so I, like I was like, um, it was a real pleasure to be asked to be on a panel. Uh, it was a two-day conference, so the Black His- Heroes in Mathematics conference. It celebrated um, inspirational Black role models in mathematics, and it was set up by Dr. Naira Chamberlain, who's the president of the IMA, so the Institute of Mathematics and and its application. Um, mm-hmm. And so he is, uh, Naira is amazing. Like he's really great 
at promoting diversity and inclusion in mathematics. And so this, the first time the conference has ever occurred, uh, was about a celebration of that, because there are so many amazing stories um, of people from the African diaspora and then and further, where, you know, they are doing maths and science and they're effectively been a part of like changing the world, which you might, you won't have heard of them. So I think it was just a celebration of that with, the, and I was brought in as a teacher to talk a little bit about that, but a lot of them actually were kind of like academics, but also people working in industry. And it's like, again, that this whole idea of showcasing role models. Cause I think a bit like, so I did a talk recently um, for the International Women's Day um, with Finding Ada, the organization, it was about comedy and communication, but the Finding Ada organization is about trying to showcase role models uh, of women in STEM. Because again, without a lot of people don't see these, these role models, don't see these people working in these industries. And so they don't believe that they can do it themselves. And so by having events like these, where you're highlighting that these people are real and they're doing amazing things and we can celebrate it, it just gives people who didn't think that it was possible for them to do it a chance to think, oh, actually, they look like me. <laughs> I, this, I, I could find space here. Um, and also what was great about the, the Black um, Heroes in Maths Conference was the fact that it was just some really, it's a real mixture of stories. Mm. I mean, like some really like, beautifully positive ones also people setting up organizations around the world to encourage more people to get involved in STEM and maths which is necessary like you know this is this is a booming area where we need more people not just we need a certain type of person we need more people in STEM you know in mean? science technology engineering math is growing we need more people in there. We need more people of color. We need more white, um, we need more women. We need more LGBTQ um, plus people. We just need more people in there. And it's meritocratous in the sense that if you're good at what you do, if, you have, if you're a good problem solver and you've got like, you know, good ideas, there's a space for you. I'm conscious that we're kind of fast approaching the end of, of our time together. But I just, before we go, I just wanted to talk to you about um, some research from the power of maths um, around this perception of careers. You know, I just want to link that nicely to some of those panelists on, on the Black Heroes Conference about um, maths careers. And the research found that three in five secondary maths teachers would say that negative stereotypes are having an impact on students thinking about these careers. Do, do you ever talk about you know, the careers in maths with your students. Is that something you find is happening um, around negative stereotypes? Well, it's funny because um, I've not thought about it regarding careers. I've definitely thought about it regarding math as a whole. Um, there's actually, there's like a YouTube clip, a YouTube sort of video of just a, like a culmination of clips from films where they're just implying that math is awful. And you're like, wow. Oh. <laughs> There's the problem, isn't it? Like, you know, the power of a film like Hidden Figures on like showcasing, you know, the fact that um, women of colour were involved in a, in a massive, you know, science project which changed the world and weren't yeah. known. But can you, now they're known. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of yeah. amazing. Popular culture is so powerful. Oh my mm -hmm. God. Like, it's so powerful. And what's really annoying is it fights us. <laughs> it's yes. really frustrating that, that, and that's like, 
you know, and that's what's a bit sad is the fact that it's just not cool to like maths or to like science, even though as a society, we need more scientists, we need more math people, we need more people who are competent with numbers. Like nationally, we're losing money every year, billions every year, because people are just not confident with mathematics. People are more depressed than ever because they're not confident with mathematics. And it's that thing of, I think, I just I really get annoyed with how popular culture will just throw that type of thing in, like it doesn't mean anything. But what is sad is what those shows do make it okay to say, I'm no good at maths. And that should never be an answer to anything. I just want to finish up here, Susan, finally. Um, you know, we, we can't have you on here and not talk about your podcast, um, <laughs> you know, with your, your very own podcast series alongside Bobby Seagull. Um, just let uh, let's tell our listeners about that series and any plans for future series. And actually, what, what is the podcast about? Sure. Well, um, so Bobby and I, so Bobby Seagull, you might like know from... Um, uh university challenge fame and like <laughs> seagulls trips around the world like so around the uk so he's a bit of a celebrity but he's also a maths teacher and so we are very bonded on our mission to make maths more accessible to everyone so that's something that we sincerely like believe in and you know and he's a such a fun like playful guy so it's kind of we like want people to enjoy themselves in our maths appeal podcast we discuss like key math topics and um, we kind of we talk about them as like teachers, like what people maybe find challenging, what we find challenging when we deliver it. But that's like a small section. And then Bobby, who is a puzzle and quiz legend, uh, he sets a puzzle that like I will do. Um, but then we also and then we also go through the puzzle. So one of the things that kind of we used to actually set the puzzle, sometimes set the puzzle for uh, ratio four. So but what was quite frustrating was we do the puzzle, but there'd be no solution. So within the podcast, we do a solution. We talk about it. Um, but we'd also interview somebody who is a maths champion or somebody who's got a, a positive relationship with maths. So we've interviewed um, Johnny Ball, which was amazing, the legend that he is. We also interviewed Simon Singh, who is like a, like a writer of like maths books, also a producer, but is a massive advocate for higher attaining students and trying to get more students to kind of take maths at a higher level. And then um, Dr. Anne-Marie Maffedon, who is an amazing like woman who has like set up this organization called STEMITS for young girls to try and encourage girls into STEM. And that's just a cut, that's the three of, of our n- n- numerous guests, but they're just people with varied stories who love maths, but also are doing some positive things around it. So our thing is just to like showcase that maths is varied. It's for everybody. And literally our aim is to be like, it matters for everyone. Um, and we want to bring a bit of lightness to it. So it's kind of, you know, we want to break down the idea that it's scary, it's boring. I think that brings us to a, a really nice place to end our, our chat today. And I'm sure that the, the listeners are going to be able to relate to so many of the topics. I mean, they have been big topics today. And I just think we've if we've just lifted the lid on some some big conversations that are going to happen going forward um, and that the listeners can go and implement some of the strategies that you've shared, that, that will just be a, a successful podcast for me. So thank you. And thanks again for being a guest. And I'm sure that the listeners will 
be heading straight to your blog, uh, do the maths thing um, to find out so much more about some of the events, the Black, Black Heroes in Maths event, the, the podcasts and, and everything that we've discussed today. So I just want to say a huge thank you again for your time. It's been such a wonderful discussion. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been, one, it's been great to talk to you. Really great. Thank you. So everyone, until the next episode of The Right Angle, please do take care of yourselves. <laughs>